We are back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. The birding community tends toward the older, whiter, and wealthier demographic. Well, that hasn't stopped young, gifted, and black Jason Ward from keeping his eye to the sky. When I was 14, I spotted a peregrine falcon eating a pigeon on my windowsill in the Bronx. I never looked back. I'm Jason Ward. This is Birds of North America. Jason hosts that YouTube series and is an apprentice at the Atlanta Audubon Society. He's spreading his passion for birding far and wide and particularly to communities of color. Jason, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, thank you for being here. Let's start with that story. That's pretty grisly about the peregrine falcon you saw as a kid came at a difficult time in your life. Put that moment into context for us. Yeah. So um, I'm just sitting by the window one day and I'm noticing feathers floating by. And me being your normal nosy New Yorker at the time, I ran to the window to see what was going on. Sure enough, there's a peregrine falcon defeathering, plucking the feathers right off of a pigeon about 30 feet from me. And that came at a really interesting time for me because that sighting came from my room in a homeless shelter. So birds have always had this uh, ability to Make me smile or bring me up out of a dire circumstance. Wow. So you were hooked. Yes. Right <laughs> from that point on, it was no looking back. And you describe yourself as a science nerd when you were growing up. You were the kid in the front of the class, raising your hands, dropping bird facts uh, with your classmates. But even after that defining experience with the falcon, you didn't really jump into birding full time. What did it take to do that? Uh, it actually So I became a birder six years ago, and two things had to converge in order for that to happen. I was working at a mortgage company, and they promoted me. So that granted me with weekends off and a little bit more money in my pocket. Those two together birthed this uh, newfound curiosity and wanting to go outside with a pair of binoculars on my free time and observe the birds that we see in our backyards every day. And those are the things that you share on your video series, Birds of North America. But you go all over the country for that with the majority set then initially at your home in New York City. Mm-hmm. Now you've chosen to live in Atlanta. You've been there for 12, here for 12 years. Yes. Why settle here? You know, about 12 years ago, uh, my older brother, who's lived out here for decades now, uh, invited me out here just for the summertime, just to visit. So I came out here and I was hooked and he invited me to stay after the summer. It was an easy decision for me. I love New York. There's no place like home and and all of that good stuff. But the peace of mind, the slower pace and the nicer people, uh, there was there was an it was an easy decision for me. And plus so many green spaces. Uh, So the bird, how is birding different here? Um, The number of species that we have here all year round uh, is is the numbers are really really high so you can go out to a, a local green space and spend about 45 minutes there and see about 30 different species so you have spoken a lot about what it means to be a birder of color as you told wnyc it's something that you think about all the time oh yeah it's most something definitely. that i am constantly thinking about as i'm out in the field um something as minuscule as how quickly I take my binoculars from out of my backpack is something that I think about when I'm just doing an activity as simple as birding. So you're conscious of, uh, if I'm taking something out of my knapsack quickly, I might look what, suspect? Yeah, it's a shiny black object that I'm pulling out of my uh, backpack often. And in the wrong scenario, in the wrong environment, that may be mistaken for some kind of suspicious activity. So, and I don't even know if I do it consciously. These are subconscious decisions that I'm making in these uh, scenarios. 
So what is it like in the birding community? As we noted, tends to be much older, Mm -hmm. much whiter, very wealthy. How have you been greeted and how have you been, let's say, interacted with that community? You know, so far, so good. All of the interactions that I've had have been overwhelmingly positive. Um, The birding community is just like any other community. You have people from all different walks of life who are, for the most part, accepting. Um, Now, there are a few bad apples, but that goes to show that's the same across the board for any kind of organization or or any kind of group for that matter. Well, there are a couple of episodes of Birds of North America where you do talk about race, and there are plenty of comments along the line of, so we're talking about birds. Why does race have to come into this? So Mm -hmm. what is your response to that? Because it matters. It's just as simple as that. I can stop being a birder temporarily. If I go to a function somewhere or a gala somewhere, I can turn the birding off for a moment. Uh, It may not be for the duration of the event, but for a moment I can turn it off. But I cannot stop being black. And that factors into every decision that I make and it factors into everything that I love. So... That's why I speak about it. It simply matters. So how about the culture that you grew up in and the family that you grew up in? This is, as we said, this is not the demographic that generally goes for birding. How did they respond to you embracing this this passion of yours? Uh, they were a little curious at first. I mean, birding, you know, it's an acquired taste. Um, but, you know, they soon started to love it. And uh, my younger brother is now a birder as well. He's been birding for about five years. A big part of your work with the Atlanta Audubon Society, this is building a network with HBCUs in Georgia and Alabama. What are your goals there? My goals are just to create pathways um, from HBCUs to careers in conservation. As we've stated a couple of times already, these fields are overwhelmingly white, and we just aim to color the conservation conversation. I see. So what are some of the biggest challenges that in, to include in, in addressing those communities? So far, the... If if nature had a PR company, they need to hire some new people uh, because all of these ads, all, all everything that we're seeing on, on magazines and on TVs also are overwhelmingly white. So people of color don't feel invited to these spaces. And we're going to break down those barriers and hopefully they can see images that look like them partaking in these activities and feel more inclined to do so as well. I'm curious about your interaction so far. Have you found somebody who lit up with this this passion the same way that you have? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, children. You know, you take children out on a bird walk and they're saying things like, oh, I thought this was going to be boring. This is really cool. Or this is the first time I've ever ever held, held binoculars before. These are the kinds of comments that you want to receive from people. Binoculars are a key into a world that has always existed, but now you have a, a, a the ability to see it in a different light. So I'm speaking with Jason Ward. He's talking with me about his experience as a birder of color in Georgia. And you're right. I mean, for the uninitiated, it may seem kind of mundane or frustrating (laughs) just to be. But you describe birding as a party in your mind that you need to contain so you don't scare the bird away. How do you how do you sell that to people who have limited experience? You know, you just have to take them out. That's that's what really does it for folks. Um, Being out in nature, away from the hustle and bustle of everyday life, away from your um, the news that you're seeing on TV, putting your phone down and just going out for five to 10 minutes and listening to the bird song. Watch them flying over. It's transformative and it's 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 calming for a lot of people as well. And that 
that sells itself. The birds do the heavy lifting. I just act as an, as an ambassador for the people. You've interviewed a number of people with varying degrees of birding experience on your YouTube show. Uh, comedian Wyatt Senak, um, yeah. for one, just a really funny guy. Veteran birder Jonathan Franzen, mm-hmm. Drew Lanham. Do you have like a favorite uh, experience? Oh, uh, the the end of the episode with Wyatt Senak, that really happened. So just to quite paint a picture. A quick picture. Um, he is talking about how he views birding now after he and I have been birding for a couple of hours. And as he's giving this heartfelt uh, diatribe, a, a, a falcon flies overhead and my gaze starts to turn towards the falcon and he notices and he's just like, come on, man, I thought we were, were <laughs> developing a friendship here. Don't look at the falcon. Look at me. And then he walks off and everyone starts, you know, busts out in laughter. But um. Yeah, that just goes to show you that no matter what's going on, I'm, I always have one eye to, or one ear to the birds. <laughs> you recently retweeted a video of Big Boy, beloved Big Boy from Outcast, from, with his beloved owls. He's describing them as his latest fetish. This is on The Daily Show with host Trevor Noah last year. He, here he is talking about the origin story there. So my assistant, Shay, she's into birds. And uh, the guy who trains her birds brought this owl to the studio one time. Right. And I fell in love with him, and I bought two owls, Hootie and Houdini. Hootie, Hootie! Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know? Like, Mike Tyson had tigers, I got birds. (laughs) That's big boy. So what does that do for the community of color, if you're talking about outreach? What did that do for that community? I think that it's simple. People tend to fear what they don't understand. Right. And with big boy owning these mysterious, curious creatures that people only see at night, it's removing some of that stigma that may be unnecessarily placed onto owls. And it's opening opening up people's minds. Maybe they're more inclined to go to a local zoo or wildlife organization and look at owls, and maybe they'll see them in a nicer light after that. So a couple of weeks ago, the Journal of Science reported, after the long longitudinal study they've been doing for a long time, that Billions of birds, as many as 3 billion birds, have disappeared since 1970. So we're talking about 50 years, one in four birds. What, when you're looking at that kind of data, does it, where do you go with that in the birding community? It's really frustrating and it's, it's saddening as well. And we're seeing it on the ground. And this is something that we've known has been taking place for a while when we see things like climate change and habitat loss and uh, urbanization. And then we throw things in there like feral cats as well. And uh, that's that's a big issue there. And it's a very divisive one. And that's it's an issue that I stand right on the front lines with. Cats need to be indoors. They kill billions of birds each and every year in the United States. So when we're throwing all of these issues at birds that are trying their best to survive, it's no surprise that those numbers are being reflected like this. Well, when that report came out, there was a lot of conversation about whether birds are an indicator species. The mm-hmm. the canary in the cone coal mine, as they say, the proverbial canary in the coal mine. Are they a warning that something is wrong? Absolutely. I mean, birds have been around 210 million years, approximately, and they are generalists for the most part. So they're highly adaptable. And the fact that they're starting to decline is a direct indication that something is going gravely wrong and we need to step in and make it right.
You've described hosting Birds of North America as your dream job, so here you are in it. And it was the first moment you experienced tears of happiness. Can you tell us briefly about that moment? Absolutely. So that was um, shortly after episode one premiered. That was about March 17th of this year. And for my life experience uh, up until that point, I've always equated emotion, sad emotion and tears with sadness. And upon seeing the reviews from folks, from strangers, pure strangers about Birds of North America, that is the first time that I cry tears associated with happiness. I didn't know it was even possible at that point in time, but I've always heard about this. I just thought it was a myth and it felt good. It really, really felt good. And I aim to, to, to get that feeling more often in the future. Well, it's infectious. Thank you so much, Jason, for speaking with us. Thank you so much. It's been J- a pleasure. Jason Ward, he's host of the YouTube series Birds of North America, and he is a fund to apprentice with the Atlanta Audubon Society.